What's up guys, welcome to another episode of I'm Afraid It's Terminal, a podcast that will have you dying of laughter. Maybe not so much this episode, but in general, you get me, we catch jokes with bus spants and all of that stuff, so keep an eye out for that. On this episode, I got a feature from Mahad. Um, if you don't follow Mahad on Twitter, you're really missing out. This guy is literally, he's like an encyclopedia of information, he's just got... He just knows things, you get me? He's just switched on in the sense that he knows what's going on in the world. Um, he, From a political point of view, probably because he's a politics and economic student, so you can tell he really loves it. But he always knows what's going on with the economy. He knows what's going on in, in the political sense. Um, so we had a really like eye-opening conversation just about things in general. Um, so yeah, definitely go and check that out and listen to it. And before we start as well, oh yeah, I've got to warn you guys, by the way, we've recorded it in a coffee shop. So there is some considerable background noise um unavoidable i try to edit it out as much as i can but sometimes things don't work out the way you want them to um before we start as well i want to tell you guys a little bit about a project i've been working on if you follow me you'll know i've been tweeting about it and instagramming it bear you get me so uh, it's a it's a board game that i'm making it's going to be a somali board game so how it works basically is yeah i'm trying to keep it a bit simple so the concept will be like you're going to move around the board and after a certain amount of steps you'll land on certain spots that will ask you to answer a question and based on that um you either progress or you don't and the whole the the origin of this idea and the reason why i'm really keen on doing this is because we've got a lot of problems in our community we've got a lot of things that we always attribute and we say the reason why these things are happening is because there's a lack of communication between generations there's a lack of communication between parents and the the youngsters you know there's there's a rebellious teenager who doesn't have anything to speak about with his mom or with his dad because everything that he knows is what what we all grow up on, do you know what I'm saying to you? What we see outside, what we see in schools, what we see everywhere. And then, you know, when you come home, there might be that kind of alienation factor. And a lot of the things might be stemming from that. So I'm trying to take a step in the right direction in giving, giving families in, not just in the UK, in, in America, in, in Canada, in, you know, English-speaking countries, as well as, like, you know, places like Sweden and Scandinavia, um, giving you guys something to... Giving people something to kind of sit down and we're going to play this as a family and nobody here can say that, oh, I don't understand this. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Um, and not just that, for, for future generations as well, like, I think it's important that, that we, we need to include more of our Somali identity because whether you want to go back to Somalia, some people are always like, you know, I want to go back home and live over there, or whether you are the kind of person that's like, no, nah, man's looking to stay here, um, for future generations I think we can all agree that it's important that language culture and where you come from doesn't die because that is that is very very important so um, we need more things that, that are Somali centric we need more products we need to start building and making these things so yeah that, that's the motivation for that so if you guys um, could contribute to the Indiegogo campaign it's very simple to do so what you do is you make a, a contribution to the campaign it's not the same as a donation and the difference is basically with a contribution you're investing in the idea that you kind of see sense in and you think that it would kind of work out and if I get enough contributions at the end of it I'll be able to manufacture the game and everyone who's made a contribution gets a copy of the game sent out before anyone else does so you get it you get it um, before it's out for general release you also get it cheaper than it would have been on general release and you get the satisfaction of knowing that you might you might have had a hand in making something happen so you know um for all you people that have already contributed i really really appreciate that and for people that haven't you know if you if you like this idea if you think it's cool if you think it's sick then please go on there con contribute and uh, yeah help me make it happen but for now enjoy the podcast featuring mad 
Uh, hello, welcome to I'm Afraid It's Terminal, ladies and gentlemen. I'm afraid we are back. Um, and I've got the special guest, Mahad, with me right now. Mahad, for those of you who don't know who he is, um, he's a politics and economics student. He's also one of the latest guys in the timeline, so make sure you follow him. Every single article that Mahad will tweet out, literally without fail, I will have to click on because you know it's going to be mad interesting. So yeah, Mahad, ladies and gentlemen. It's nice to finally be on Terminal, guys. Um, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Yep. So um, just to, just to kick things off, Mad, you you shared an article recently in it. So it was about tariff engineering. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who don't know what that is, it's like when you, well, like for example, Converse's um, are technically classed as slippers so that they pay less tax, right? Yeah. Um, why go on with that? What's the, what's the whole reason behind that? Since you're the economics so, guy. So. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty old concept. I mean, this stuff kind of started in um, the 60s, really, but it's becoming more forefront in uh, today's uh, economic landscape, especially concerning the uh, so-called trade wars that we have in place today. Um, so um, one particular insight in the article which absolutely blew my mind was um, Ford, which is an American company, of course, uh, produces vans in the European Union. Um, but to escape the... Um, 25% uh, tariffs on vans ex- being exported to America from the EU, it converts those vans into cars by fitting seats into the back and then removing those seats when they when they um, pass through US customs in America. Yeah. So they become a van again, which is quite crazy, but quite simple. But at the same time, it's a car that, while it's being transported, while it, when it hits US customs, and then it's being uh, converted back to a van. See, like the, the mad part about this is apparently they don't even try and hide it because yeah. the seats are quite shit quality, yeah. yeah. And they're very like open with what yeah. they do. I mean, uh, but is it not illegal? Like, it, it's it's not illegal because the Supreme Court cannot do anything about it. It's technically still a car, but under American law, you can actually have people in the back in, in, the, in that van yeah. slash car on American law when it hits US customs. So, in all ways possible, it's classed as a car. But once the company actually transports it to America, you have no right uh, to tell them whether or not you can convert that back to a van or not. So it's very legal, but very shady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of... It's like like another thing that I read. There was this thing about um, Toyota uh, faking their profit report. Like they had like... Obviously, they have like an economic report at the end of every year. And what they'll do is they'll buy Toyota parts from Toyota Japan, which is obviously the other branch of themselves, but they'll buy it at a higher cost. Yeah. So that... Technically, Toyota America's made less profits. Yeah. So that way, they only pay X amount. Yeah, that, that, that that's also very normal. Um, it's what a lot of companies actually tend to do. Um, multinational companies, they, um, you know, to escape tax in a another jurisdiction, they'll um, potentially um, they're they're more happy and in many ways to pay tax in the jurisdiction where the low where the low where there's the lowest tax being paid. You know, yeah. the lowest percentage. So. There's a recent case, of course, of Apple on Ireland. You know, um, I think Apple had to pay Ireland uh, 15 or 20 billion euros, which Ireland did not actually want. You know, Apple done a deal with Ireland to um, yeah, like a tax haven or something. Yeah, yeah. So Ireland became a tax haven for Apple. Yeah, because Google's there yeah, as well. I heard. And Ireland wanted it. Ireland wanted Apple because they wanted that high tech industry. And Apple wanted Ireland because, you know, they speak English there. It's, you know, in the middle of Europe, the time zone, etc. It's in the middle of the world, really. So, you know, you can people who work there can communicate with Chinese and American customers and business and so on. Um, but I think the tax they were paying was like 0.0 something. So it's quite ridiculous yeah. for a company the size of Apple. Well, and, the, and the EU caught on. The EU caught on and um, they said, Apple, you actually need to pay 
Ireland that money. So um, Apple have paid that money, um, all of it, because they just have shed loads of money lying around. They got no, yeah, but, it's, no, it's nothing to them. Yeah, it's not, it's a, quite, it's actually nothing to them, but it's in an escrow account and um, it's wait, awaiting a final kind of court judgment on whether they should pay it in the first place. Well, did, did you know that the first, um, what's, what's the thing called in the airport? Um, I mean, this is surprising given that it's, a state does not actually want that money. You know, yeah. it doesn't want that tax. But being forced it's to kind a of supranational uh, organization that is forcing the state yeah. to actually take that castle. Yeah, see, the thing about Arsenal, uh, the thing about Ireland is the first, um, you know, the duty free, that's the word. Yeah. So the first duty free was actually in Ireland. So they've got like a history of doing this because they realized, you know, oh, we put a duty free over here. Yeah. And the Irish coffee, for example, mm. was actually done in the first airport in Ireland mm. to get people to come over here and like you know spend money at the airport so and it, and it, got a history of this and it, and it has worked to a large extent um, I think uh, Ireland's one of the best well decent recoveries from the um, crash of 2008 you know um, it's not gone down the same road as Greece it's definitely you know not down that road um, doing much better than Portugal, uh, Italy, etc. So, you know, it's working fine, you know, in that case, in that scenario, so to speak of it. And uh, a large part of it has to be the fact that the multinational Apple and Google have not only stayed there, they've, you know, strengthened their presence there. You know? um, I read this thing about Facebook getting a fine recently for doing something or other wrong. Um, but the fine, the, the, in, the thing that interested me was the amount that was the fine. So it was several million, obviously. But apparently, Facebook make that back in like half an hour. Yeah. So um, they say that they say that if you are a big company like that and you are doing illegal things, as long as you can afford it, it's not illegal to you. Yeah. Um, which is one of the reasons why I actually the GDPR uh, regulation, the new EU privacy regulation, it was actually quite interesting in that it didn't have a set amount for the fines. It actually had. Um, and a percentage yeah percentage yeah, yeah, yeah. of total global revenue yeah. so not just European not just in that you know specific jurisdiction it's a total global revenue so and it's not even profits it's revenue isn't it yeah so that is a it's big much. big game changer um, so is the um, Chancellor Philip Hammond's um, uh, digital sale digital tax revenue um, concerning the revenue of um, digital companies such as Google Amazon Facebook etc in the UK uh, and this is not on profits, it's on revenue because a lot of these companies don't make profits, you know, so to speak of it, uh, or they have very sneaky ways of um, circumventing that profit, as you said. You like, like Toyota was doing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Amazon has a big history in doing that because um, when you actually, when you guys actually look into your Amazon, you know, emails or whatnot, or your payments for Amazon, you'll you'll see Luxembourg there. You won't see anything else. You'll see Luxembourg. <laughs> so you know, the money you actually paying to Amazon goes to Luxembourg instead of the UK. So um, I think that says to you something. You know, dodge is going on yeah. there. You know, so to speak of it. So. Um, well, I heard, I heard this thing that there's a shadow economy almost. So there's there's the there's the surface level economy that we know of, you know, the legal that we can see the transactions, and then there's something that's underneath that where you won't really see a paper trail for it because, for example, the, the Ukrainian prime minister was caught recently. You know the whole Panama Papers thing, yeah, yeah. where it's owned by a company who's owned by a foundation, yeah, so, who's owned by a charity, who's owned by another company. So the Panama Papers, I mean. There was obviously the Lewis Hamilton kind of crazy thing where he uh, saved about five million on a private jet by, um, he made his own company in the Cayman Islands and then that company bought the plane and he made a leasing company and then he leased that plane to himself with the company he owns but he's not the actual owner of it because there's no name on it as the owner. So that just, you know, that's the kind of an example but I think... Um, it's also normal people that do this, you know. So um, people that are, I think it was a woman that was working for BBC, you know, on Panorama. Um, she 
uh, had a organization in uh, Mauritius where she got paid, where her money went to, and um, she loaned her money, her own money, back from herself with no interest rates. But she wasn't paying tax, she was loaning money from so she's using a financial product basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Financial products are obviously not taxed. All right, so here's a question for you, right? Um, when, 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 especially you're borrowing, you know, yeah. abroad. So. So, so here's a question for you, right? There's all these companies doing, committing all of these tax frauds and committing all, all of these various I mean, it's, things. It's, it's, it's brazen, it's brazen. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. When but, but like what I'm saying is, there is a lot of also there's, there's people that are immigrants that come over here and say, instead of saying, for example, I'm 47, they'll say I'm 37 so that they can get a head start in life. Yeah. And we as a people, you know, Somalis or whatever, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about it as if it's extremely wrong. Yeah. But haven't these companies shown that this is very commonplace? Yeah, I mean, it's very brazen. So um, when you look at the big companies like EY, KPMG, um, PwC, when you look at their tax division, their tax division is solely to actually uh, propagate this stuff. It's to, you know, uh, make sure, you know, that they say, you know, for example, in the brochure, in the, in the brochure they say um, something like, um, you know, help this company make their tax uh, payments um, very competitive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you are, you know, you are you are part of that industry, and you are helping them circum- circumvent uh, the payment of the right amount of tax that they do to pay, really. You know, and uh, these companies are so global, they're so powerful, they're so um, they have very good, they have they hire the brightest people, they do. You know, uh, so you actually cannot. The government has no like, you actually can't track where these where this money goes you know it's too hard for them yeah so um if it's too hard for the hmrc in this country which is one of the best global you know tax collecting revenue d- d- departments in the world uh, imagine what it, is, what it is for countries in the third world when they're trying to collect the right amount of tax you know? so you know it's hard to track money these days in this globalized world really yeah mm-hmm. um and i i take i i don't like the idea of these big multinational companies who are at some point, right, it becomes a, a company owned by somebody who, you know, it's his dream to start maybe Google or Microsoft or whatever. But then I feel like it switches from that to, to this massive entity that's just there to make as much profit as possible. Profit before people, profit before I mean, yes. morals, anything so like that. So you've probably seen how Amazon and um, Apple have passed the $1 trillion mark, as in how much the company's worth. I mean, we are getting back to that era in America um, where the companies were worth a crazy amount. So, you know, General Electric, you know, is a small company now, but it was a big company in the early 1900s. Same with um, Standard Oil, which has which has been broken up into ExxonMobil um, and a few other oil companies. The East India Trading Company as well. Yeah, these used to be... East India Trading Company was a country. Imagine, yeah, so yeah. imagine a, 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 imagine a company colonizing a you know, subcontinent the size of India. That's how powerful companies were in the past. So, East India is more colonial, but when you look at it more, actually, you know, recent history, modern history even, I mean, you're looking at the likes of um, Standard Oil, you're looking at the likes of um, General Electric and so on. These yeah, companies, Shell, Aramco, yeah, these, these companies were broken up, you know, back in the day uh, in the trust um, by uh, Rockefeller in the early 1900s and, um, and the other progressive presidents, Taft, etc., they were broken up because they were too powerful. They were broken up because too powerful. They were making too much money, and their people controlling them became too powerful in a sense. So we yeah. are we are coming back to that era, and yeah. there has to there has to come a point where somebody says Amazon is actually too powerful. Uh, Apple is too powerful. I mean, not so much Apple, but Amazon. You know, it controls too many industries. It's getting its hand in too many industries, and whatever industries it gets its hand into, it takes over it. You know. So, yeah. Well, just just add into that as well. There, there was a thing that happened in like the early 1900s, as you were saying, mm-hmm. where. 
uh, a conglomerate of these companies that yeah. came together yeah. and they went to this military general and they yeah. said, you know, stage a coup yeah. and, and work for us basically. Yeah. And this guy kind of worked as a double agent where he pretended to do what he was doing. And I, I don't know how it's not got the publicity that it does, but it was in, in the US. And the US almost became the United States of corporations. Yeah, yeah, and even yeah, today, like yeah. the top 100 economies, about 60 of them are companies. Yeah, yeah um, so there's a lot of that actually, you know, um, you know, they hold um, stadium coups in the South America and the Central America. You know, a lot of big co American corporations were actually behind it. They wanted it. You know, for example, Cuba. Cuba was um, one of the biggest banana regions, sugar, sugar cane, re sorry, sugar um, uh, cane regions, uh, growth regions in the world. And uh, as American corporations that were behind that, you know, propping up dictators and whatnot. So, um, it's, yeah, Guatemala, it, yeah. all sorts. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still bad now. I mean, I do think um, one of the things about I, I hate so much about American democracy is how commercialized it is. But it used to be much worse in the past. For are we actually getting back to that, you know, kind of sense? Because um, Jeff Bezos, the guy who obviously owns Amazon, um, he is uh, he's taking money from the U.S. Army um, um, for projects, tenders, you know, contracts to uh, use America, uh, Amazon's, you know, uh, know-how, technical ability to actually develop products for the U.S. military. So we're getting back to that relation between the big, big, big corporations and the U.S. Uh, state itself being heavily intertwined with them. You know. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's money everywhere and it's, and it's very dubious. There was a thing um, not long ago about the US government losing several trillions, like literally losing mm. several trillions of dollars. Mm. And they're like, oh, where is it? We don't know. We don't know what's happened to it. We don't know where it's gone. Mm. So, yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's, it's a mother. They're doing whatever the hell they want. Um, do you think they're propping up dictators as well? Do you think that, like people like Bashar al-Assad, for example, um, uh, are there because of... No. I mean, that the, they will not. I mean, the very uh, picturesque Im image of America, you know, coming in military and everything, and propping up unpopular dictators in a third world. I don't think it happens as much anymore, or as it's not as obvious as it was. You know, it doesn't happen like it was in the seventies, eighties, nineties, etc. But it will not pursue friendly dictators, you know, as much as it pursues people like Assad. I mean, Assad's a complete bastard, you know? Yeah. But, um, again, you can't compare people on Museveni to Museveni doesn't kill his own people to that extent, you know? But he's still a dictator. He's been there for 30 years, I think, Museveni right now. He's the, you know, longest serving uh, leader of a country. Now, but what, he's, what country is he? Uganda, Uganda. Okay. But he's very friendly to America. So, yeah. um, absolutely nothing's done to him, even if he, you know, disregards human rights or whatever. He's very friendly to America. He's very friendly to the West. So uh, nothing is done to him except yeah, they don't really you know? care. Well, I think mm. I think uh, it's not more so that America has stopped doing it. Yeah. I think it's more that in recent times mm. other countries have clicked on yeah. that this is a thing and yeah, they're also yeah. doing it. So now yeah. it's a competition. Yeah, yeah. For so so so, so what's my proxy essentially? So what America used to do with dictators is is essentially what um, Russia is doing with Assad right now. It's propping them up. It's because Assad, their boy in the Middle East, and um, they are propping them up. It's exactly what America used to do back in the day, you know, propping up unpopular dictators wherever they go. So, um, unfortunately, you know, Assad has actually won the civil war right now. He's, there's no other way of looking at it. You know, he will be the leader of Syria for the next few years to come, um, which is a darn shame. In my, in yeah, my yeah, it's 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 horrible. It's really horrible. But I mean, it, relating that to something that you tweeted not long ago as well. Um, do you think people like Assad actually think that the people love them, you know? Yes, yes. They, they have to, they have to. I mean, 
Um, are they that deluded though? Like, cause absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, the um, thinking behind dictators, the um, their mind, their brains is something I would love to study. Something I would love to read about. But they are, they must be so fucking delusional um, and egotistic, you know. Um, so there's a three-part documentary on, on Assad, the whole family of Assad actually on BBC iPlayer right now. I would heavily recommend you guys to go watch it. But there's one. Um, exchange between the American ambassador to Syria and Assad that was really profound in my view. It was um, the American ambassador, so this was at the time when Libya was going to shit. It was the time Tunisia, obviously, um, you know, um, the Bin Ali was it? The leader of Tunisia yeah, yeah, yeah. left Tunisia. Um, he's the first one, I think. Yeah, he's the first one, Domino of Dafel, and Egypt is going crazy as well. So the American ambassador asked him, um, are you worried about the winds of change in the Middle East, etc., etc.? You know, he, he, he spoke to the program about how he wanted to make the language very subtle because he didn't want Assad to think that America was behind it at all, you know, because they kind of weren't, you know. It was a movement by Arabs themselves. He asked him, are you worried about the change of, you know, the winds are blowing in, uh, in the Middle East? And uh, Assad said, no, the people absolutely love me. They adore me, you know. And um, when, when your underlings, when your generals, when your uh, ministers are propagating the same lie to you when they're making hella fake marches for you. Uh, you know, I think there's a there's a segment in that documentary about, you know, hundreds of thousands of people demonstrating for Assad, their love for Assad, you know, um, placards and candles and everything, you know. When that gets really inside your head, then you're not going to think anything else. You're definitely going to believe what your generals say to you and say this is a foreign conspiracy because you're fully going to believe that, you know? Why wouldn't you, you know? Yeah. Mm. Well, it's a bit like um, the yeah. film. Have you seen the film The Dictator? Yeah. yeah, yeah. When, when everyone... And the, th- the thing is, this is why I kind of rate this film because it's kind of grounded in truth. Yeah. When everyone is pandering to you, yeah. everyone around you, and anyone that isn't mm. would hurt your ego to the point you'd probably kill them anyway. Yeah. yeah. Then, like, same with Mohammed bin Salman, you know? Yeah. Uh, what's going on right now? Uh, I'm trying to go hedge, so I'm not going to speak on this too much yet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, these men, yeah, like, mm. everyone else kissing their ass. Yeah. So... Yeah. You have to, you have to. There's, yeah, there's, no there's, there's, there's nothing else to do. And um, this is why... Um, I mean, the thing is... With dictators, with um, especially hereditary dictatorships. So, when you look at Syria, you know the guy's father was in charge. When you look at Saudi Arabia, his father is in charge. So, I mean, Saudi Arabia is not really hereditary dictatorship, um, you know, but it's becoming like that because the father's the king and well, the, see, the, the, the son is the crown prince. See, see like, the thing is, you can have a you can have a very lucky apple. You can have a very um, you can have one of the most amazing leaders in history. Uh-huh. You know, South Korea, uh, when um, it became capitalist. It had a capitalist dictator. He was a dictator. He was a murderer. He murdered people for no reason. Human rights were, you know, uh, not, not really there. They, they, they were nothing, you know. But he developed South Korea to the, the South Korea we know today. So you can have a very good dictator, but you can also have one, you know, like Assad or a very bad apple that come about from just just from just through chance. See the the word dictator mm. and dictatorship. I think mm. uh, it just sounds extremely negative. Do you get mm. what I'm saying to you? Yeah, yeah the negative but connotation. In essence, yeah. In yeah. essence, it's the same thing as a king. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he's a leader indefinitely of a country until, yeah. until I'm no longer the, the, able the, the, to be the leader the thing of the country. Is, I think what the word dictator connotates is that you don't have choice in the matter. Yeah, yeah. There's no choice in the matter. And I mean, with the king, there's no choice in the matter. But um, it's more of um, there's no discussion or anything. There's no room for any opposition or any opposition to even what you think, you know. Whereas um, in the UK, for example, we have a king. It's a constitutional monarchy. But there's room for there's a big room for you know opposition to whatever the mood in uh, Westminster is 
in other countries not so much and it's uh, it leads to people who are outside the political spectrum who can't even get inside picking up weapons for no reason you know um, so when he, well, when, so I mean someone like Erdogan for example mm-hmm. he, he's everyone's saying that he's a dictator as well but if you look at what he's done and like you're saying there's the friendly dictators and there's the good dictators yeah. if you will is it really fair to call them dictators because if, if man's doing good and leading the country in a yeah. good way should I mean, he be I mean, picked up I mean good, good is a perspective I mean I, I do uh, like Erdogan to extent I mean it, for me it's like um, he's, he's, he's a populist Erdogan he's a populist leader you know he uh he changes his mind, in my view, based on what the media's on the day. You know, there was this extreme package of benefits, etc., that he put out for the over over 65s, etc., which was not really needed. You know, Turkey needs a lot more, more things than that, but it's nice. You know, it's really nice, etc. You would love it if you're a pensioner, you know. But um, was, there need, was there a need for it? No. But will it be popular? Yes. And what is he doing it for? Votes. So Erdogan is one of the one of the most successful populist leaders in my view. He's a he's a machine of the, of elections, you know. This yeah. guy has never lost an election since 2002. So he's an absolute machine. Um, where I don't like him is um, he unnecessary unnecessarily um, you know makes things hard for himself in my view. You know there was no reason to call Germany G- G- um, the German state Nazis. You know in last year or two years ago. Uh, uh, what was that over again? So. Um, he uh, wanted to so what Turkey does is that uh, when there's an election in Turkey the in Europe the Turkish people um, that have dual citizenship so I have a friend in Loughborough she can actually go vote in London in the Turkish embassy yeah so uh, it was over the fact that Germany and Austria would not allow the party of Erdogan to go and campaign in, in their countries aha uh-huh, okay mm-hmm. yeah so at one moment I think the Tur- a Turkish minister was actually stopped from, you know, physical yeah. stuff by police from doing so. So it became a big di- diplomatic thing, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, I can't actually, I, I, I rate the fact that they are probably one of the only countries who aren't really attached to anyone else's interests. Yeah, yeah, and I absolutely love it, and I absolutely love it, and he's playing it well. I mean, he's a successful leader, and yeah. I love it, I love what he does, I love a lot of what he does, actually. Um, I just think he made things very hard for himself, unnecessarily. So, you know, uh, he had no friends, so to speak, in quite recently. Um, you know, Europe was against him. America was not friendly with him. The Middle East, Saudi, and UAE were against him, and he done that to himself. You know, yeah, he done that to himself. But this uh, killing of Khashoggi in uh, Istanbul, it came at a very good time for him. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it- so right, all of a sudden, um, Saudis kind of pleaded with him to, you know, not say too much on the topic. Yeah. And he's not saying too much. You know, he could definitely say, yeah, the Saudi government was actually behind this, which they absolutely were. But he's not saying it. He's saying, I don't think the king's behind it, but there's rogue elements behind it. You know, by rogue, you know, he keeps repeating the same thing, which is, um, I do not think King Salman is behind this. When you keep repeating that, you're that you're you are kind of imp- um, indirectly implicating his son, the crown prince. If you're not defending the crown prince. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a very sneaky way because the crown prince is more the in charge one, and he's also quite anti-Turkish, so to speak. You know. Yeah. Um, and then it's also the fact that this is a letter of thorn relations with America. Um, it's coincided with the release of the pasta that America really wanted to freed. Uh, so America has also come pleading to Turkey, you know, to just stay a bit quiet on the topic, you know, not yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. to blow out portion basically. Yeah. Mm. Um, there was a little tidbit I read recently. Mm. So in 1930 something or other. Mm. 
um, the the people of Bulgaria voted to change their system from being a monarchy, so mm. change from having a king yeah. to, to becoming a, um, a democracy, so, yeah, you know, yeah. a vote-based yeah, system. Yeah. And then, like, 60 years later, the king at the time was about five or six years old mm. um, because his dad had just yeah, died, yeah. and that's when they voted, you know, okay, we'll, we'll scrap this whole thing, we're not having a child leading us. 60 oh. or so years later, the man campaigned to become the president, and he became the president of the country. Oh. Yeah. I mean, um... There is, there is, there, it happened, it's happened a lot over Europe. There is a lot of monarchies in Europe that are no longer around. So, um, when you actually research it, you know, this is something I just do, you know, it's one link from another, you know. Um, there's a lot of monarchies in Europe that are no, no longer exist, and but they're still in high society. Yeah. So, the house of, um, oh my god, um, the, um, the Habsburg house in Austria, uh, Austria Hungary, is still around. The guy's actually a, a politician. The head of the house is a politician. Not oh, okay. Yeah. And think of it, this guy's family used to rule Austria-Hungary and the Balkan region for hundreds of years. As, at one time, he even ruled Spain. So he's one of the most powerful families in the history of Europe, you know? Yeah. And he's just a calm politician right now, but he's also the head of the house. Yeah. And he's the inheritor of everything. You know, there's still money around in the family, etc. Um, the German family, the Kaiser, you know, the guy we learn about so much in GCC, etc. His family's still around. You know, in high German society, yeah, yeah, Napoleon's yeah. family is still around. So, well, and they're yeah. all kind of related as well, which yeah, is kind of mad. Yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah. from every single country. And the mad thing is, the word Kaiser, yeah. and then the the, the, the Russian Tsar, yeah. uh, all come from Caesar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the name Caesar, which is you know obviously the Russian. Um, exactly. The Russian so, Roman um, we emperor. a lot of people tend to downplay the impact of uh, the Roman Empire on Europe. And, um, it was huge, like 2,000 yeah. years. It's yeah. the longest time and empire It's ever. the biggest you know, impact in Europe that can ever come. So, for example, when you actually read the um, excerpts of like colonial players, so to speak, you know, the leaders of colonial powers in Europe or um, the actual generals doing the job, they always refer back to the Roman Empire somewhere. You know? yeah. Or the fact that you know, when Britain was colonizing the world, so to speak, um, one one thing they done when you go to the museums in London, actually, you'll see um, statues in the style of Roman um, statues themselves. So they wanted to become the next Roman Empire. You know, yeah. it was the attraction of that. Um, well, the, the, yeah, they, 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 it was so massive that they had to split it into yeah. the Eastern and the yeah. Western Roman yeah. Empire. Yeah. There's one story actually where Julius Caesar got kidnapped by a bunch of pirates. I don't know if you heard this. Guy got kidnapped by a bunch of pirates and then um, they, they asked for some ransom in it. And he's like, What? I'm Julius Caesar. Ask for more than that, brother. You're mad. So they went and asked for more. And then, you know, just bantering and having conversation on the ship, yeah. he starts ordering them about. They, they're doing his bidding, making tea for him. And he's saying to them, As soon as I'm released, I'm going to crucify every single one of you guys as a joke. And they all laughed about it. He got released and he actually stood by what he said. He crucified everyone on that ship. This guy was a bad man. <laughs> At least wow. bad man. Wow. Um, I mean, listen, the Roman Empire's story is fascinating, yeah, absolutely nice. fascinating. Um, if you guys actually want to learn more about it, there's an amazing podcast by Dan Carlin. I have to shout him oh, out. Oh, yes. Like, um, you know, it's crazy um, how much of world history is done by the Roman Empire. For example, when we look at, you know, um, our dean, for example, Isa Alayhi Salaam, um, he was, well, did Roman, the Roman Empire try to murder him? And they were trying to murder him in by using the crucifixion which is done for political distance in that time at the Roman Empire so it's a political assassination so to speak you know he yeah. was anti you know he, establishment you know, yeah, in a way yeah, yeah. they weren't tolerating him basically yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, imagine that um, not happening it could not have ever happened if um, the Roman Empire was not so lucky as to lose a war to Hannibal Hannibal was a crazy guy you know there's a whole war with Carthage you know 
and the Roman Empire was so um, impacted by the war against Carthage that instead of just beating Carthage in a war, which they did eventually, and you know having a treaty with them, they absolutely plundered the city, and the city is no, no longer in human history. You, there's a city nearby in Tunisia right now, but it's just you know uh, the old city, so to speak. It's like ruins. It's ruins. It's ruins. It's the same ruins you see in the Colosseum and whatnot, but it's even more degraded than that. The pe- everyone, woman, man, child, were either killed or enslaved, and there's no nothing left over it. You know. So it did not tolerate any kind of, you know, descent the Roman yeah. Empire, you know? And it made these atrocities just for an audience. It was a kind of a, it was terrorism, modern day terrorism, you know? Yeah. This is what's gonna happen to you if you don't, you know, bow to our demands, yeah. so to speak. And um, it was after that, they drank the Kool-Aid in it and they kind of got drunk on yeah. um, expanding the Roman Empire. They went to Greece and done the same thing. And these were, the Greek states were very established back then. So this is at a the time they, you know, were fighting the um, Persians, you know, yeah, after, yeah, yeah. after they fought the Persians and whatnot. So, yeah. Um, see, the, hi- the mad thing about history is the fact that you kind of see this, what's going on now, what's happening it's today. It's a cycle. Yeah, it's, it's a, all cycle. a cycle. And it just keeps coming back and it just keeps That's repeating. honestly what shocked me most about Dan Khan, yeah. that we're witnesses the same, th- same, same, same things, but just with different players. Yes, yeah. And, um, sometimes they even say the same things, yeah. they say the same history exact words History does repeat, it, repeat itself, man. It's facts, it's pure yeah. facts. Mm. It's, it's, it's human nature, mm. just like being being led to simulate yeah. we say never forget and then we'll go and do it again yeah, once yeah. we do forget so yeah, definitely yeah. it's a magazine so um, yeah this has been a great podcast we've uh, wrapped it up at about half an hour which is which is long for this which, it's yeah, decent you know, it flew it's, by it's, it's, it really did it's, yeah. it's a commute you know 30 minutes so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, usually we do about 20 minutes but yeah like, I was enjoying it so much that we just carried on doing it but yeah I hope you guys have enjoyed this um, if there's been some background noise it's because we are in a cafe there's music and, and coffee machines about so we do apologise for that make sure you like comment and subscribe make sure you follow Mahad on Twitter and Instagram because the guy is a G I'm telling you um, yeah thank you very much for listening guys and enjoy your weekend be nice everyone see you.